0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I thank God for praise and worship today. Is God able? Yes, he is. He is definitely able. God is so wonderful, so good, and he really blessed us today. Listen, uh, we're in part two of our new series entitled Uncluttered Faith. Pretty exciting. Uh, again, we began it last week and we began to lay down the basics for what this thing is all about with this particular serve. Uh, a sermon series is supposed to do. It's supposed to unclutter our faith. And we, we talked about, as Miss as Sarah Johnson at Nassau said, that if you just mess up on your trajectory on your launch, you would miss the moon by a thousand miles just by an iota. So sometimes in life, our faith starts off pure. It starts off, you know, grounded. But along the way, certain little things happen and certain situations happen. And before long, we're so far off the mark, we really don't know it because all of the movement has been insidious. It's been very meticulously moved by Satan, who is our enemy. So before long, you have something that is so foreign to you, but you don't realize how far away you've gotten from the purity Of that intimate relationship with Christ. So this particular series is to one. Show us where we are. Show us where we need to go. And then put us on a journey. That shows us how to get back to our first love. I'm just going to read you something. That's going to help us in this particular one. It says Satan. Was declawed. And detoothed At the cross. All he can do is roar at us. And gum at us a little. The only way he can harm us is through deception. Deception. Now, I I need you to understand the depth of the word deception. Because it's part of what's being deceived. We are being deceived. That means I got you looking or believing at one thing. That it has no value. As I take away the thing that really does have value. So part of that deception by Satan is the only thing he can do. Because God dethroned him. God detoofed him on the cross. So Satan only has something left and that is to deceive you. Today we want to talk about one of his main tools in deception. It's called fear. Fear. That unrationalized emotional response to a situation that you can't control. So you fear for the outcome of that situation. Well, listen to me. I need you to know that's one of Satan's main tools that he uses in his toolbox of deception is to make you afraid. To make you fear. It's it's unrational. It's, it's, it's crazy, but that's what he does. Why? Because once you begin to fear, you take your eyes off the throne. And you put them on whatever that situation is that you are fearing. Let's just, again, uncluttered faith. Faith is trust in the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. How many of you believe that Jesus died for you? That it's eternal. It's not temporary. It's eternal. So his death on the cross created something. Even Jesus said it is finished. So everything that God sent him here to do, he completed that task. We keep working as though it's not finished. We keep looking at it as though it's a temporary thing. I need you to know Jesus is not going to get back up on the cross because he said he died once for all. So that being true, how do we react to this information? How do we react to the finished work of Christ? If he has dethroned Satan, then we have to realize that all of Satan's tools are temporary. They are meant to deceive you. They are meant to cause you to move away from the comfort of being in God's full protection. Is this making sense to anybody? Praise the Lord. So it's important for us to realize this. So let's go to a couple verses that will give us understanding. Again, Satan is very limited at what he can do. But guess where it started? His idea of deception started in the Garden of Eden. Let's read this. This is Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 with the Amplified Translation. It says now the serpent was more crafty, subtle, skilled in what deceit than any living creature of the field, which the Lord God had made. And the serpent Satan said to the woman, can it really be that God has said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree, which is in the middle of the garden. God said, listen closely, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it. Otherwise, you will die. Launch going to the moon. All the math that had to be done by Sarah Johnson to make sure that that missile, that that spacecraft reached the moon rather than go 1000 miles away was from the launch point. So she had to figure out the trajectory of exactly how and which way they would travel and which speeds to arrive at the moon. Satan is talking to Eve. He didn't tell her to deny God. He didn't tell her to do any of that stuff. He just threw in that little thing that she ate on and said, shall not eat and shall not touch. God didn't say anything about touching. Are y'all still here today? But we're not done. Listen to what the serpent says. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. Now, I need you to, to just step back. In the Garden of Eden, God would come down in the cool of the day and converse with both Adam and Eve. They had this incredible relationship. I need you to really see this now. God is so pleased and happy that he would commune with them. They would have this intimate relationship on a daily basis. Satan, who is envious of God, knew he had no power to totally stop that relationship. But he decided to deceive them, to cause them to look a different way. Satan can't stop you, but he can deceive you. And if you follow those footsteps, you'll find yourself far away. Let's listen. It says, for God knows, listen, what is Satan is saying? For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. That is, you will have greater awareness now. Satan is actually saying that he's quoting God, which means he just said to Eve and Adam, God is lying to you. Oh, I sure hope you hear me today. God is lying to you. He said (laughs) that that God knows what will happen to you. He didn't tell you. He's holding it from you. He's lying to you, which causes him to do what? have less of an intimacy with God, and they begin to move off to maybe they think something is better. You've done the same thing. We have done the same thing. God has given us a direct and beautiful promise. We win, brothers. No matter what, how crazy this situation looks, no matter how bizarre it looks, God cannot be defeated. We win. But what does Satan want you to do? He wants you to operate in fear. He wants you to take your eye off the throne and put it on the situation. When you begin to see the situation, you begin to think that that situation is eternal instead of temporary. In the garden was a magnificent relationship, but now it's going to be severed. Why? Not because God is just mad, but because these people have turned from him. Listen, let's finish this thing. For God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open. That is, you will have greater awareness and you will be what? Like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. Well, we know how well that's worked for us, knowing the difference between good and evil. Because in this society, in this day and time, whatever is good for me is evil for you. (laughs) And whatever is good for you is evil for me. And that's why we never should have been able to deal with that because we don't have the right constitution to leverage that information equally. So how or what happened? Simple little phrase, simple little deception. And now Adam and Eve are off the mark. What happens to them next? They're out of the Garden of Eden, right? Let's go to another verse that may help us understand this thing. I hope this is blessing you so far. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. It says, listen then to the meaning of the parable of the sower. Jesus gave this beautiful parable about the sower of seed. Now he's given the explanation and I need you to get this. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom regarding salvation... And does not understand and grasp it. Who? The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Just like in the garden, he's still doing what? He's right there. With you at every one of these turns. And what he wants for you to do is go to a place that may tell you about salvation, but never teach you about the certainty and the eternity of your salvation. Therefore, Satan just waits for that window of opportunity to open and he'll snatch it. He'll make you think, "Ah, you're not really saved because you got to do this. We got a 10 step program. A 13-step program that you got to follow. And sure enough, you're going to mess it up some way along the way. So you're not really going to be saved. I just got to read. I just got to read. Listen. It says, this is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and at once welcomes it with joy. Yet. He has no substantial root in himself, but is only temporary. And when pressure or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he stumbles and falls away, abandoning the one who is the source of salvation. (laughs) The part that really gets me is we talked about it last week. Jesus said that we, you study the scriptures diligently because in there you think you will find eternal life. But the scriptures speak of me and you're not willing to come to me. When it comes to this particular explanation, Jesus is requiring us to come to him. Because if we don't come to him, we don't have protection. We don't have confidence. But we have to be in a church that just doesn't teach us to read the Bible. It teaches us to get in contact with the author of the Bible. So we know that there's a God who gave us the Bible, not just the Bible. The Bible is important. It is our word. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So studying the Bible should lead us to Christ. And if it leads us to Christ, then it will protect us when persecution comes, when trying times come. Why? Because I'm not going to depend on me. I'm going to depend on him. And a lot of us right now are angry and mad because situations and circumstances are out of our hands. They're out of control as far as we're concerned, because if we're uncomfortable, we believe God should be uncomfortable. And God is saying, you know, I'm in the pruning business, right? <laughs> you know, I'm going I'm to prune you. So I need you to be uncomfortable because I need you to know your weakness is my strength. Are y'all hearing me today? So you need to be in a place that actually teaches you to stay connected. Because if not, Satan is nearby, ready to snatch it from you, ready to have you fear The circumstances more than you fear or be an awesomeness of God. Let me read on. I sure hope this is helping you today. And the one on whom seed was sown among thorns. This is the one who hears the word. But the worries and distractions of the world. And the deceitfulness. The superficial pleasures and delights of riches. Choke the word. And it yields no. Fruit. Hmm. We should work to put treasure where? In heaven. Not just on earth. I'm not telling you don't work hard and don't try to make money. I'm telling you don't make money your God. Because when you do, guess what? All Satan gotta do is move the money a little bit. Take a little bit away or Add so much you can't even pay attention to anything anymore. Had a wise preacher tell me a long time ago, if you ever really want to know what's in somebody, give them a lot of power or a lot of money and you'll find out what's in them. I need you to do this for me today. No matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have, it doesn't change God's love for you. You are still his child. Oh yeah, somewhere along the way, he will change your material circumstances. But he knows that the material stuff that we gain here on earth won't go to heaven with us. You came into the world naked. You're going to leave out of here that way. So you don't put that emphasis on those things. But listen to me. You can go after them, but don't let them guide you because the second you do, Satan is going to choke you out. Yes, he is. He's going to choke you out. I've seen families destroyed because the patriarch of the family or the patriarch of the family would pass away and there was a lot of money and those children 25 years later are still fighting each other over that money. That's ridiculous. But this is how Satan works in his deceitfulness. Somebody say amen. And let me read the last part of this and we'll move on. And it says, and the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. This is the one who hears the word and understands and grasps it. He indeed bears fruit and yields some 100 times as much as was sown, some 60 times as much, and some 30. So the seed fell on good ground in this particular case. Again, meaning that it had depth. It had roots. It was somebody who continued to concentrate on the throne instead of the mess. They continued to concentrate on the throne instead of money, instead of fear. Are y'all hearing me today? So hear me right there in your living rooms. Just this week, you've had people share conspiracy theories. You've had people share all kinds of things. All of those things lead to fear. They don't lead to peace. They don't lead to the throne. They don't need lead, lead to that. Listen, it says that you are justified. Therefore, you now have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You have peace. But what does Satan want? He doesn't want you to be peaceful, just like he didn't want Adam and Eve to be peaceful. So he started to deceive. And the best form of that is fear. We're going to talk about fear right now. Real depth, real deep fear. You ready? Hold on to your hat. Hold on to your coat. Let's go to 1 Samuel, chapter 28, Samuel, chapter 28, verse 5. It says, when Saul, who was king at this time, saw the Philistine army, he was what? Afraid and badly shaken. Once you become afraid and badly shaken, you lose focus. I don't know about you. Hmm. afraid been there knows exactly what that feels like but you lose focus on what you're supposed to do think about this Saul seen the Philistine army and he got afraid Saul has no idea that there's somebody coming who's going to face the giant of the Philistine army and is going to slay them See, you get stuck in the moment, and you have no concept of the eternity. God is planning this thing, and God is the best of planners. Man plans, but God plans because he is the best of planners. So you get caught up in the moment. He's seen the Philistine army and got afraid. You see the circumstances outside your window or on television in those places, and you are afraid. Why are you afraid? How can you be afraid when you know there's a God who cannot be touched by foolishness? There's a God who lives above all of these things. But Satan wants you to concentrate on something you never could control in the first place. And... Some of this changes is for you. You need this pressure. You need this kind of persecution because for God, it adds up the pruning. We need to have some of this stuff happen so we can get our trajectory straight. So we can go back to our launch point. We can go back to our first love because right now we're in the field of hate. <laughs> we're in the field of division. We have missed the mark by a mile, but let's go on. Galatians chapter 2. man, I'm I'm on fire right now, so y'all better be careful. New Living Testament. It says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. This is Paul talking. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, oh, listen closely, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism. Let me just stop there for a second. Him being afraid caused him to stop doing what God had called him to do. God said he buried the wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles so they could become one. So at the beginning, he was acting in accordance with that by eating with his brothers. But somebody else came and he, being afraid of their criticism, decided to back away from the truth. Some of you know in your hearts what the truth is but you got some friends that have more power in your life and you fear their disapproval. You fear their criticism greater than you understand the love of God. Their opinion only has power in their own minds until you accept it in yours. I'm here to tell you today, stop, (laughs) Peter, Was afraid of criticism. How about you? You looked at something, you know, that is wrong. That is just just wrong. Somebody comes along and who's supposed to be your friend and you want to kind of preserve your little status quo and you go, what's your feeling about that? And they go, man, that was that was righteous. That should have happened. And then you change your mind and go, yeah, you're right. That was righteous. It should have happened. And you know in your heart, God had already gave you the answer. I know I'm speaking tough today, but I need you to get this. Let me go on and share the story. It said he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. If you don't think people are paying attention to you and the decisions you make and the stuff that you're saying, I need you to know you are leading men and women to hell. Why? Because you are afraid of standing for a simple truth. That's what it was, a simple truth that it was okay for him to eat with the Gentiles. It was okay for him to do that because God had already taken care of that. It's okay to eat with somebody with a different opinion than you because they're still to your brother in Christ. Opinions do not stop God from loving everybody. You need to understand that. We need to understand that. Boy, we've gotten so fragile. But catch yourself, please. It says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others. I'm going to stop there for a second. It's much better to get corrected in quiet during prayer than it is to get in, <laughs> to get corrected by God in front of everybody. I'm, he- I'm here to tell you right now, no matter what you think, God is in control of this whole situation. God is in control of the whole situation. God has never abandoned us. But even in the wilderness, you have to face circumstances that are out of your control. So you have to trust that God is always in control. I don't like the way this is going on. I don't like that. Tough. Change. Repent. Accept the fact, like Peter had to, that Jews and Gentiles were one and the same. It says, since you, a Jew, by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? The Jewish traditions don't have any long-term value. Is this making sense to you today? We're almost done. I'm going to let you go here. So if, if there's fear, what, what would be the antidote to fear? What, what, what does God offer so you wouldn't be afraid? In first John chapter four, I don't have that on my list, but you can write this down. First John chapter four, verse 18 says, perfect love cast out fear because those who fear are still afraid of judgment day. I need you to get this. Your judgment, when you accepted Jesus Christ, settled. Done. It's over. So you don't have to fear judgment day. I need you to understand. I worked law enforcement and sometimes I had to work in the courtroom. There was a judgment of innocence there was also a judgment of guilty, but when we hear the word judgment, we immediately go to guilty. So on judgment day, if you're a child of God, what is your sentence? Oh, some of you are afraid to say it. You're afraid to think it because you still think that it's out in the atmosphere. I have to do something to make it work. Well, listen to me. If there was something you could do, Jesus would have never had to get on the cross. So there's nothing you can do but accept the one who made it right for us. So accept Jesus and don't be afraid. Right now, there is this breath-blowing fear into our society. Nothing but straight-up fear. As though there's people hanging outside your window, wanting to break into your house, wanting your wife... Come on, man, I can barely control my wife. What in the world would I want yours too for? It makes no sense. But when somebody is blowing this irrational fear, you've got to know somewhere there's deception taking place because fear takes your eye off of the real deception. It is just part of the system and you're being deceived. What is this deception? The only one that Satan enjoys is getting you separated from God. Getting you to stop believing that God is large and in charge. Let me finish this verse and we're going to move on real quick. Or is this the next one? Yeah, this is it. Mark 4. Mark chapter 4. It said that day when evening came, he said to us, to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. I need you to repeat that one more time. The last part says, Jesus says this, let us go over to the other side. Okay, let's read on Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher... Don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have such little faith? Why are you afraid when the storm is raging, when the squall looks like it's overcoming everything? Why are you afraid when Jesus is in the boat and he already said we're going to the other side? When God speaks, nothing can stop Him. When He said, "We're going to the other side," I don't care if the Earth would have turned over upside down." They would have still went to the other side upside down, because when God speaks, it is finished. So what are you doing right now as you watch the storm? <laughs> as you watch this thing happening? You are afraid. Because you think in some kind of way, God is mad at me. He's mad at us. Can I tell you something? God is pleased with Jesus. He's pleased with Jesus's sacrifice. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do you please him? Have faith in his son. Have faith in his plan. So I ask you again today. What is it that you're afraid of? Do you think you're not going to get to the other side? <laughs> Peace be still. Psalm long time ago, care if that, not for we perish. Is <laughs> what they said in the King James. I need you to know if you are fearing perishing, you forgot who's sleeping on the boat. If there was a reason to be afraid, it would be Jesus standing at the rail of the boat, which scr- squeezing his hands on the rail. That should make you afraid. But he was asleep. Why was he asleep? Because he knew nothing would stop us from going to the other side. And nothing's going to stop God's plan from being fulfilled in the earth. Nothing. Almost done. Going to let you go home. Uh, it says they were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Wait a minute. Who did you actually get in the boat? Who did you ask to get in the boat? Who did you pray to? Who did you say you accepted as your Lord and Savior? And now you're wondering who he is. Deception. You've been deceived. That's why fear was able to enter in. You have now forgot who Jesus is. Oh, we sang songs about he reigns. My Lord reigns. We sing songs about God. Oh, he's a good, good father. We sing that there's nothing that can touch him, nothing that can stop him. We sing these songs week after week after week. And still, we do not believe the truth. That he is who he says he is. And when God says we're going to the other side, listen, go to the other side. Just labor with with Jesus. He'll take you where you need to go. Last, you ready? Matthew chapter 10. Verse 29, it says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? <laughs> Insignificant sparrows, at least in this context. Insignificant, two of them sold for one penny. No, no great value on these sparrows, right? Listen to what the verse says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside Your father's care. I don't know about you, but there are certain verses that should just load you up with the confidence of knowing nothing can defeat God. Your arms are too short, Satan, to box with my father. You can't win, so you cannot have my heart. You cannot have my mind. You cannot have my spirit that caused me to fear something that has no long-term value. These sparrows, insignificant to us, but valuable to God that not one of them will fall to the earth that God doesn't know about. Let me finish reading. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. That's my God. Woo, Jesus, that's my God. You don't understand what he just told you. That everything about you you're beginning, you're middle, you're in everything he knows. He values. He got you. I said he got you. So don't be afraid. <laughs> don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I hope you understand how important this is. See, because deception, deception's greatest tool is fear. He wants you to be afraid. Listen to this real close. It says, when you lose the fear of God, when you lose the fear of the awesomeness of God, you will fall victim to the fear of the temporary. So he had to keep God first. So as we go through this series, I need you. Go back to your launch point. I need you to start this journey over again. I need you to go back and remember the joy of receiving your salvation. The joy of knowing that God loved you so much that he exchanged his son's life for yours. I need you to go back to that. And then I need you to stand on the two things we talked about last week. The greatest commandment. Is what they asked Jesus. And he said the first was to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. And the second one is equally as important to love your neighbor as yourself. I said last week and I'll say it again today in closing. You would never wish poverty on yourself. (laughs) You would never wish family separation on yourself. You would never wish any of these low down, filthy, horrible things on yourself. That being the case, we have to learn how to treat our neighbor as ourselves. So when you wake up tomorrow morning, when you pray that God will protect you, guide you, give you wisdom and give you insight Pray the same thing for your neighbor. I thank you for hanging out with us today. I pray God you get a real understanding of what this level of deception is and what this great tool of fear does. So pay close attention this week as you live your life. Figure out why you sit in front of the TV and 10 minutes later you're full of anger and fear. Fear is not what God is calling you to. He's calling you to his perfect love. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.